Hey thinkers, welcome to this week's episode of the Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Wu, and I'm excited to have Nate Krasnov with us. So Nate is a VC, a venture capitalist at Wildcat Ventures, and has, I mean, just in, in the earlier conversation before jumping on here, has very interesting productivity hacks given that he's a young, hustling venture capitalist, you know, figuring out the, you know, I think starting with master, I guess the, the, the game of Silicon Valley. So as we all are an interesting skill sets and, and productivity hacks. And I, you know, what connected us to you from Nutribox was that you recently went on uh, a journey to go up on Kilimanjaro, the Correct. tallest mountain in Africa, and used one of our nootropic products, Sprint, to help get you up there. So welcome to the show. Thank and, you for having uh, me. Yeah, I'd love to figure, you know, discuss a, a few different aspects of of your your, your background and your, your your work style and, and how different biohacks are helping you uh, become a more optimal, more productive version of yourself. Sure, sure. Happy to dive in wherever. Yeah, I think um, one thing that I think is very mysterious about Silicon Valley is this notion of like venture capitalist startups. Um, how did sure. you get into this space? I, I mean, I think obviously a lot of our listeners <laughs> yeah. are in Silicon Valley, but I know we have other listeners just across the world that always look at Silicon Valley as a sort of this mystical place. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, uh, for me, I consider myself very fortunate. Um, the way I got into Silicon Valley was I went to originally I went went to college, undergrad, and master's in engineering at Carnegie Mellon in yep. Pittsburgh, and. Um, there was a woman by the name of Elizabeth Patterson, who at that time was the chief talent officer at a venture fund called More Davidow. Um, three of the GPs from More Davidow and one GP from Interwest uh, came together to join Wildcat. And Elizabeth um, has been a longtime mentor of mine since uh, October of 2013, so coming up on four years. And when we met, I was building and racing electric boats. And at that time, I had a 60-person-ish engineering team uh, while at Carnegie Mellon. It was one of, one of the things wow. I was pretty proud of uh, in my personal career. And <clears throat> she tracked me across that. This is uh, like a hobby? This is like a competition? So we raced them uh, professionally in two regattas, in the, uh, one in the Netherlands and okay. one in Monaco uh, in the summer of 2014. Uh, having been working on this professionally for like two and a half years. Okay. Um, so between, so after that I moved to San Francisco and I reached back out to Elizabeth and, um, and, uh, you know, we were chatting about, you know, what, what, what I should be kind of thinking about next. And, uh, that ended up taking me to a company building augmented reality motorcycle helmets. Hmm. Um, and after that experience, which I learned a lot from, uh, ended up um, chatting with Elizabeth again and she introduced me to one of the GPs at, at Wildcat and then um, kind of the rest is history but uh, you know I came in as an unpaid intern didn't have any role for me and uh, just kind of worked there for a while uh, and then uh, was fortunate enough to have them hire me so the answer to your question is for everybody it's a little different Yeah. Um, for me it was a three-year interview process, um, developing the mentor, the uh, mentor across, relationship across developing yeah. really strong relationships. Yeah, um, and you know Elizabeth is still a major part of my life. 
as right. a mentor, um, and she's the chief talent officer at Wildcat now. And uh, so we get to work together to now too, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very humbled by that opportunity. But basically, what it came down to was being creating an opportunity for myself. Um, and then you know, you always thought you wanted really to be strong an investor, or I mean, it sounds I, like you, I mean, you did a lot of just hands-on and more operational <clears throat> things in your in yeah. Your, so in only academic career. So for a long time, I only ever built things, right? Yeah. Um. So now that I don't build things, it's it's certainly a different lifestyle. Yeah. Um. But the the interesting part about VC in comparison to being a you know an uh, an individual contributor or a you know an founder or whatever is that you know as a founder you're building one thing really excellently right you know in this case it's you know nutritional products right right but as a venture capitalist you know i have the opportunity and the pleasure of being able to work with people across all 13 of our verticals right that we look at yeah so as the only associate at wildcat you know i support all four of our gps and through that process you know i'm, I'm helping all of them across their respective verticals so yeah. you know you know, if we make 10 investments a year and all 10 of them are in different verticals, right? That's, you know, that breath is being, is, is something that you would never have the opportunity to do as a founder. Right. You know, as I'm sure that you know, right? Yeah. You, no, that's I, I what think... you dream about is, 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 is box. <laughs> yeah. I think it's an interesting analogy because I, I think, um, it's definitely like very intellectually stimulating for like every meeting, every conversation, every space you look at, it's like a completely different context different subject totally. matter so you're always just being stimulated by like just new content and new areas totally it's like it's the perfect job for somebody with add yeah because it's such a massive amount of context switching right uh it, that there's no way to <laughs> there's no way to control right it, 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 the, the 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 flow is so massive that inflow of of new ideas it, i also actually tell people about vc that are kind of disillusioned by tech Okay. Uh, to that VC is a really awesome opportunity for that to be un <laughs> like to to get to um, undisillusioned. Undisillusioned. Okay. That's not that's where that's a new word. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna take that one with us. But the uh, because you, you know you you know go you go through a shitty startup experience and you're like just really you know be bummed out. You're trying to figure out like what you want to do next and being in VC is and for me was a super interesting way to you know be re-energized about the world and you know meeting entrepreneurs are like we are going to change the future you know we're going to you know it's going to be us yeah you know this is our vision and how we're going to get there and you know meeting people like that every single day how could you not be excited right about what yeah. the future holds i mean i think that's the i think the positive lens to look at it because i think that yeah I, it's interesting where i think you just continue to see like this increasing bifurcation where some I don't like we should I'm curious actually the exact percentage breakdowns but some group of people get more disillusioned where like you know techs or, or tech is like this like disrupting people's jobs it's, sure it's, it's uh you know yeah yeah it's it's accruing wealth to the top where I think I think the right lens to look at it is from a positive direction because at the end of the day like it's it's inevitable that tech progresses like you, you, you we cannot just stop you like hey no one think about making new things so we might as well look at it from a positive, responsible perspective. So there's there's like two there's like two things there, right? Which I totally agree with you. One is, you know, when they invented the wheel, you know, people weren't people were like, oh my god, what do we do with this? And now right. look look what happened, right? right. But uh, the other thing was is, you know, I think that there really is a constructive and a destructive approach to technology. Right. Where it's like we want to actively displace as many people as possible, right. or 
you want to build everyone up together. Yeah. I think there's a way to do the latter in a for-profit way. Yeah. Um, distinctly for-profit. So um, in a venture-backable way. So we started a company, one of our newest companies called Greenfig. Okay. Um, we started on that premise. Basically, <clears throat> imagine the world of Fortune 500 companies that have a massive amount of potential workers that will be displaced in the next five years. And then on the same half of that, you have college graduates coming out of liberal arts degrees that are going to be in the same debt of $250,000 for their education as the uh, engineer from Stanford. Right. So uh, one has a real opportunity to pay off those loans in a reasonable amount of time, and one may never pay off those loans. Right. And so how do you help the, you know, the liberal arts major from, uh, from an, you know, a random small-town university? Um, when there's very little opportunity for them today to really, really advance, but there's large intractable job markets that really need people that have personal skills. Right. So how do you, how do you bridge the gap between uh, the art history major from somewhere in Nebraska and the tech job that needs an enterprise sales associate or a customer success person, um, et cetera, okay, right? Yeah. People that really, they're still human facing roles and right. won't be automated for a long time. Right. So that's what Greenfix trying to do. Okay. Be yeah. No, I think it. yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so going from a, a you know, talking it on a personal basis, right? Like you say, you're, I mean, the VC world is like this fire hose of information. You know, what totally. have you developed in terms of like different regimens or protocols that help you manage and, and stay on top of all that? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I haven't met any associates that do a really really good job of staying on top of the fire hose. Narrowing your focus is, you know, a good way to do it, and creating a personal brand around uh, particular verticals. You know, whether it's AI or education or whatever, is a good way to limit um, that inbound flow because okay. people start to recognize you as a leader in whatever space. Um, so that's probably the best way. But as a but if you look really broadly, like we do, picking one space to focus on ends up being really hard because, you know, if you take the broad macro thesis that we have of workforce innovation, right. well, that could be done in, fi in FinTech or in EdTech or through AR or right. through robotics right. or through uh, digital health right. uh, and medical imaging. So you could take it any which way. Um, so how do you, how do you uh, position yourself in that way so that it's... Um, so it basically means like not sleeping. <laughs> kind of not sleeping. Yeah, good segue there. The uh, So it's kind of not sleeping. And you and I were talking about this before I jumped on, but it, because one, I'm outward facing, two, I'm in a support role supporting my GPs, my four GPs, my time really isn't mine. And But that with the implication of that is that there's still a lot of support, a lot of work that goes in that right. I'm responsible for. Um, and you know, we're beholden, VCs, the funny thing about VC is that we're just a startup one level obfuscated, right? Like your customers are your customers right. and you're beholden to your investors, but my customers are you guys and we're beholden to our investors who are LPs, Yep. right? So it's, it's all, the same. it's all, it's all one hand feeds the other. It's, it's yeah, I, I think that's like, you know, the, the, the next level realization of how everything works, right? Like venture capitalists are also, I, I don't envy it as like an easy job. I think a lot of people think, oh, it's easy to like give away money. But it's like very hard to find good investments that will return capital to your LPs. <clears throat> right, and there's a lot of studies about how th there's like more capital being deployed in venture capital than any other time in history, yep. et cetera, et cetera. So the implication of that is that there's too much money tasting too few good deals. Yep. And so then deploying capital responsibly is 
irresponsible. So then yeah. how do you be really thoughtful about what you invest yeah. in? And then it's also like the, the best returns accrue up to like the top 10% of funds where yeah. everyone else basically loses money. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's not an easy game. I mean, but I think it's, it's same with startups, right? Like only a few startups really make it through. It's like one in 10,000 become a unicorn. It's like that. And 80, it's 80% of companies um, fail between like seed and series B. Yeah. And so then that's kind of the set that we use to form our personal thesis. Right. But yeah, it's, it's, we call it the traction gap. Yeah. But, you know, from initial product release to like for an enterprise company, the scaling phase of that is like 500K uh, MRR. And so 80 yeah. something percent fail. It's an absurd amount. And, you know, if all this capital is going in, right, how do you how do you get people through that phase? Yeah. Right. It ultimately comes down to like good governance and good guidance. Right. Yeah. But it's a it's a hard road for everybody. Yeah. So <laughs> you, have to be, you, have to, you have to have a character defect to start a company, <laughs> I think. Well, I think I think uh, the way I look at it is that I think as a startup founder, you know, we think about building out extraordinary outcomes. Right? Totally, like that's like where it's interesting from a VC startup perspective, but also I think from a personal perspective, I think that's why. Uh, yeah, I, I think when we talk about character flaw, it's like some sort of character out of standard deviation. Right, like you have to be extreme in some areas. Uh, <laughs> yep, that's for sure. <clears throat> that was the first question when my GPS, this entrepreneur, when he met this, was like, what, he was a young entrepreneur, and the question was like, so which character defect do you have? <laughs> it's like that's such a good question. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, so I think going back to like you not, you know, just teasing into that point of you not necessarily owning your time, right? So like mm -hmm. you're very sort of client facing to your GPs as well as like the companies that you guys invest in or, or, mm -hmm. or doing due diligence on. Yeah, because a lot of so times like, we're like, the front like normal office diligence. hours. Yeah. And I guess basically what you're saying is that after the external facing hours, you just have just stuff that you also just need to get through. Sure. So it's basically like the normal working day is like basically when you're talking to people and then like late at nights, early mornings, that's when you actually have to like have time to actually do your own quote unquote other work totally right and everyone has their own schedules you know some people work some people like do their partner stuff which is basically mondays are usually for most vcs shut down with partner meetings and entrepreneur right. pitches when they come in and pitch partnerships um and then a lot of people take meetings between like tuesday and thursday and then a lot of people that i feel like have reduced a lot of friction from their system respond to all their emails on fridays right because it just accumulates interesting and then they get try to clear it out but it's <laughs> I haven't figured out the best way yet, but what I've been doing since like for, for a long time, it's probably since 2013, is that the way I keep my mindset is that I keep these little notebooks around, so I always carry one with me. Um, the one I'm obsessed with now is a company called Lecterm that I've been using for a while. Um, it's a German brand. They they have page numbers. Okay. So that's, that's obviously way better than Moleskine, which never has a page numbers. I mean, come on. And also table of contents. And I probably have like 60 of these that I've accumulated over the years. So it just like is a way to, you know, because there's so much coming in. How right. do you, if you just like, oh, I'll remember that. I promise right. you, you won't. The, <laughs> so that's just the way that I've always just kept record. Um, but the other thing is like, uh, we were just talking about polyphasic sleep, right? So if, if you're working between the hours of a normal, like a normal hours of like 8 a.m. and, you know, 6 p.m. or whatever, and then you're trying to build your own network. So you're at dinners or back to back dinners sometimes between, you know, 6 and, you know, 10 or whatever right. it is, or happy hour or whatever. And then all of a sudden you still have all this work to do. <laughs> so when do you do it? Well, you got to do it between the hours of 10 p.m. and 8 in the morning. Yeah. So, um, 
and that's in my opinion that's when I like to work the most because nobody else is there bothering you, right? There's nobody to there's nobody to distract no you or pull you in a direction. Yeah, and uh, basically, and so, <laughs> um, so I ended up in like an accidental polyphasic sleep cycle, and I've been doing that since I was building boats in two thousand. Uh, that would have probably been way back to two thousand almost two thousand. So, like, what does that look like? So, like, you... yeah. So, <clears throat> when we were building boats, it was you know waking up in the middle of the night to get on conference call with our uh, the European um, uh, race directors. So that we would, you know, see if there were any fires to put out. Then I right. go back to sleep. Then I start my day. Then I go to class. So it's like, like take a nap. Then I'd start to like three in the morning. Yeah. So that those meetings would always be like two, three, four in the morning, because that's when they're starting their day. Yeah. And then you know, uh, then like go to class for a few hours, skip a class, take a nap, go to the next classes, build stuff. You basically like sleep like two hours at a time. Uh, so that's one way to do the polyphasic thing. Okay. So when I was building boats, it was like. Is like the it was like the the four two two one or whatever. Okay. But now it's like the, um. It comes in cycles, right? So I don't like I don't. It's like a two month cycle of one and then a two month cycle of another. It just okay. depends on what is like the major fires that we're putting out today. Yeah. Um. So yeah. What's your current sleep schedule? Then? Yeah. So like right now it's probably like. It's probably like. <laughs> Two two REM cycles a night, and then three twenty minute naps. Wow, through the day. So yeah, like a REM cycle typically takes ninety minutes to get through one full REM cycle. Yeah, right. So, so you have like a three hour core sleep block, and then twenty minute naps. Yeah, twenty to thirty minute naps, something like that. So like um, and you and, and this is pretty this is sustainable for you. I have I've, oh yeah, many people have tried, but it's very hard to sustain. You can ask our analyst Laura. So we Uber down to the office together on Mondays for the partner meetings yeah. together, and uh, like nine out of the ten Mondays, I'm like in a nap. But that's only because we Uber down at like eight or nine, and I've already been up since like four thirty or whatever or five. Yeah. So, Jeez. so by that point, it's like already time for like your first, like you know. Yeah, and I've heard that first gap. If you miss, oh, if you miss, it's gone. It's, it's very terrible. hard. Oh yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Like if you miss your nap, like you're totally thrown off. Oh yeah, it's true. And so on Mondays, it's really hard for. It's really, really hard because. I mean, have you been in a circumstance where it's like always? Uh, yeah. Like oh, like you're in the podcast, you're in a meeting, like oh, like it's gonna go long. Oh yeah, totally. So I got a nap. Like you just. And so, like, that's where, I mean, that's where things like your products come into play, right? Where it's like, you know, it can help you close, close that gap between one, then between uh, sleep cycles in emergency, in like critical situations, right? So, like, for example, I told you on Mondays, it's, it's like the partner meeting days, which are the critical days for VC firms. And everyone's structured a little bit differently, but uh, for us, a lot of things happen on Mondays and including one-on-ones for, with a lot of the GPs. Okay. So and those are always in the afternoons because the yeah. pitchers are always in the mornings. Yeah. So a lot of times they just roll it. The day rolls through, and so it's so those are examples where it happens all the time where there's like no opportunity to like you know catch your breath for a second, and during the day in an office where it's high intensity office that and you never get the opportunity to yeah. close your eyes for a second, right? So finding ways to bridge that gap between you know between that is right. really important, and so like trying to push for what I end up finding myself doing a lot is I end up pushing for a Pushing myself until like you know four thirty or five okay. on Mondays because that's when I'm in the Uber next right. back up to the city where I can like mellow out. So for like a second. you have like sprints or like sprints, days. yeah, okay. yeah, sprints exactly, like exactly, exactly. That's yeah. interesting. That's Green a tea. crazy Green use case. Coffee. I mean, that's like one of the most yeah. aggressive 
um, ways of using Sprint, I would say, that I've heard of. I mean, beyond just also using it for the Kilimanjaro hype. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, one, like, so Mondays are pretty, like, shot at, at the end of the day, right? Because, like, yeah. if you're not getting your naps in, you're basically running off of three hours of sleep. Right, exactly. Yeah. Which is why, so I'm, I'm part of this, um, this group called Monday Meditations. Okay. Which I haven't been able to go to because I've been traveling like a crazy person for the last yeah. couple months. But um, Monday Meditations is this amazing group that I've been a part of since I since February of 2016. Okay. Um, and <clears throat> it was like right after I left the Augmented Reality uh, Motorcycle Helmet Company. I got hooked up with these guys. And it's on Monday evenings at 8. And I go, and it's the perfect day to do, like, I have a group meditation session. Okay. Um, because you're, like, coming off the weekend, and, you know, for people who uh, don't work on the weekends, you know, you're enjoying yourself. I, I'll, I work on the weekends. But for people who um, who don't work on the weekends, you're having a good time, et cetera, and you go into your Monday, and you're just, like, just depressed, right? Yeah. It's just the worst. And then you come out of your Monday, and you're like, God, that was exhausting. Yeah. And then you go to this community right where yep. you've just where everyone's there just like suffering through their mondays together and then you leave after an hour and a half being like yeah that was great and then it gives you a, you know a lot of energy to get through the next That's four days interesting um so you know finding a community that you can uh you know detox with together is i think another really important hack that i've kind of established yeah i think that's interesting because i think what we've seen with the intermittent fasting community that we've structured a lot of people do a 36 hour monk fast from monday night to wednesday morning holy crap um that's incredible but it's the same i think the same principles around like structuring like a reset period you know in 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 the early days of the week as you're just like getting back into the routine totally that's right meditation is like absolutely another one of these key things that um you know has been sort of Eastern traditional sort of folk lore or, you know, a folk tradition. But totally. it, I think there's a, a lot of emerging science and data that show that, hey, meditation uh, has some real, you know, statistically significant effects in terms of, you know, how alert you are, how, you know, reducing anxiety, like just actually shifting your hormone levels. And just like with startups in VC, you know, the mystery around it, getting into stuff like this is sometimes a lot sometimes really hard for people like yeah. it's like what do i do and thank god there's a lot of apps now like uh, you know headspace etc but um where people can go do that kind of stuff but um for anyone that you know wants to get started there's a book called the five minute journal that you can buy for like 20 bucks on amazon and that was really it's a super lightweight way to just kind of take your take a moment at the end beginning and end of each day and just kind of reflect on the day you know what goals you achieved through the day what could have been better um, and at the beginning of the day, you know, it's like, what would make this day great? Yep. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, what am I looking forward to? Um, you know, what am I thankful for? Um, and it just gives you an opportunity to kind of start your day on the right foot and then like end your day in a reflective moment, which is like the, you know, level zero of meditation, yeah. right? That's interesting. How did you get <laughs> into these proactivity hacks? Was it more of a, you know, different ones, different ways. Okay, so I'm curious, yeah. like, did you, like, at, and one day wake up, like, hey, like, I'm going to optimize myself, or has it been, like, you've just been yeah, collecting different, different, day, different Yeah, different one, different days. So, so the notebooks came from a, an old co-founder. Um, he was, like, a, a, a an aspiring Navy SEAL. Okay. And um, he was, like, there's just no way that I can keep track of all my stuff. So yeah. I just started carrying out these notebooks. 
And I was like, you know what? That's a good idea. I'm going to steal that. So I've been doing it for four years. And then um, the sleep thing, that was just like because I was tired. And one mid-morning, and I was like, I'm just going to nap. And then I started doing that. So that's how I got to the accidental polyphasic sleep. I don't like plan it. I'm not like a diligent polyphasic sleeper. I just like just when I'm exhausted, it just happens to shake out that it looks pretty much like polyphasic sleep. Right. Um, so that's that one. Uh, and the reason why is because so um, I did my master's and bachelor's at the same time. Okay. And then we had so started this. Finished in four years. Yeah. So while running like a. Like while, running, a while running a team. Okay. And then we had built a, a four, couple for-profit arms. One was called, I think that one's, I don't know if that one's still going. It's called November Mike. And then I still have a, a Delaware C Corp called um, Con Cannon. None of them have ever really been active. But we were trying to get that as a, build that as the for-profit arm of the boats. But okay. we realized that nobody cares about electric boats. Maybe so, it's a little bit early. Well, yeah, it's just not a, it's not a problem. It's like not a like the your customer base doesn't doesn't care about a lot of the problems that you're trying to solve sure. in that in that market, so it's a mismatch. But the um, well, but the press yeah. for electric cars, Maybe yeah, well, exactly, right? But but when you think about years. the Tesla thing, right? It's like yeah. he didn't he, he built the electric car and then marketed it as like, look at how freaking cool you will be driving this, and yeah. that's what got the adoption, not yeah. like the fact that it was an electric car. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the premise is, yeah, there was a lot of things going on. And that's why I needed to sleep more. Yeah. So then, uh, or find times when I could sleep to sleep. Right. So, um, and what was the other one? Oh, PDs. So we were talking about like the sprint thing. Yeah. And for a long time it was Red Bull and I was like, oh my God, I'm killing myself with this. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, there has to be other ways. So, you know, it was like chugging black tea. Right. Um, that doesn't work obviously. Um, because after a certain point your caffeine tolerance levels out. Right. And so, you know, finding natural solutions that right. can really subs- like that can help you get going is a way that is is really is really important. Yeah, that 100%. can help you help you balance your lifestyle, especially when it's intense. Yeah, that's your question. Yeah, no, I think it's helpful to just get a sense of just like okay, like came out of necessity, <laughs> which I think is probably like you know all you know creativity comes out of necessity in a lot of ways. That's yeah. in, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think from yeah, I think from my perspective, you know, it, it started off with like, um, you know, after selling my first company to Groupon, you know, I didn't know necessarily know what I wanted to do next, but sure. um, like I, I knew that a big company long-term gig was not my cup of tea. And it's like, okay, as like an engineer, if you don't know what necessarily you want to, the end problem you want to solve, you might as well solve like an abstract problem of making yourself smarter or myself smarter, more productive in the meantime. So when I do find the next possibility <laughs> to work on, that's I'll be a lot more that's efficient in, at it. That's interesting. And that's then a it cool just way to go got, about it. And then it was just, oh, uh, that in of itself became a goal of it itself. Like how do we just become more optimal uh, performing, you know, cognitively, physically, metabolically more efficient than before. And I think, um, so I guess a little bit more, I guess with 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 an end in mind, but like fasting was something that like came out of the community. Where it's like, hey, this is like an interesting thing that we should look at, right? Like, I think a lot of people have been looking at meditation as something to incorporate into like a proper regimen. Um, oh yeah, people do. I mean, that's I mean that's how you get better at it, right? Yeah. So I, and I find myself when I don't meditate for like you know a month at a time or whatever when I'm tr- when I'm traveling yeah. a lot, 
the um, you know, I come back and do I go into Monday and into Monday, and I'm like, oh my god, I am terrible at this. So it's a 90 minute meditation session. It's because it, it's not really 90 minutes because yeah. it really is more about the community part than the meditation okay. part, as like that functions as the major reset in unto itself. Okay. Where you know that you're gonna have a pretty consistent community that shows yeah. up every Monday. Um. But the <laughs> the when you do get into the meditation part, it's like, man, I'm really sucking wind right now. Yeah. Versus like trying the one that I thought was most interesting. And I can't, couldn't believe this was possible until it happened. Um, was that like, they like try to breathe into your elbow and I was like, this is not going to work. And then like four breaths and you're like, Holy crap, I can breathe into my freaking elbow. That's amazing. <laughs> or like, you know, like pick a toe and like try to breathe into it. If like you really focus on it, I was like blown away by that. Yeah. I was only able to do that one time, but it was, and I was had gone, I was going like pretty consistently, like four or five weeks in a row. But I was, that one instance was like fascinating to me. Yeah. That you could like manipulate your, you could your manipulate mindset, yeah. like pinpoints of, of feeling based yeah. on just on breath and focus. Right. And I was like, geez, that's cool. Yeah. As a recovering athlete, in theory, in theory, I should have known that, but you know, in practice, you know, five years out from being a, any kind of athlete, that was pretty cool to, yeah, absolutely, too. absolutely. Yeah, tell me about Kilimanjaro. So yeah. How did that journey? Uh, yeah, good question. Get started. So around April of 2016, I started to try and solicit my buddies to climb Kilimanjaro. Yeah. And nobody wanted to go with me. I was like, dude, I'm injured, or no, that sounds terrible, or <laughs> or whatever, right? And yeah. um, and I was like, fine, don't go with me. So then I kind of tabled it and um. I had just gotten, uh, I just signed on with Wildcats, so you know I was picking up that, and right. I had also just gotten back from Cuba, so I, you know I was still traveling, yeah. still doing fun stuff. But I was in New York in October, September for a conference. Uh, uh, by the way, all this ha- this happened between um, April of 2016 and January 1st of 2017. Okay. So this whole story and. I was in a conference in September, and in my previous life, I used to work with a band, and I hadn't seen the guitarist and the lead guitarist in quite a long time, and he now works at J.P. Morgan, and so he and I got drinks and, uh, you know, to catch up for a second, and he brought uh, our friend Gloria, who we both knew from uh, fashion. The, uh, she was a fashion designer who we had met, we been friendly with during the when we were working together, and uh, Gloria brought uh, her friend Chloe. So Chloe shows, and Chloe works in San, splits time between San Francisco and New York, and uh, Chloe and I were out for a coffee one day when she was in New York or when she was in San Francisco, and I was like, "What are you doing for the holidays?" And she goes, "Oh, I have no plans." I was like, "You know, I was thinking about cl- doing something crazy like climbing Kilimanjaro or going on like a, a more adventurous trip because and all my friends here are lazy." And she goes, "I mean, two days later we had a trip booked for the over the holidays." And, oh yeah, she's totally crazy, and she and I are still friends. I just caught up with her last week when I was in New York, um, and uh, uh, yeah. So and uh, her boyfriend's a saint. He like he he's so patient. He's like, yeah, go do all your crazy trips. <laughs> so and she has a hard time finding people who are equally of that mindset as yeah. well, like to go chase that kind of stuff, right? right? So literally in in two days, we had a trip booked, passports out for visas, and like ready to go to Tanzania. So, as with all things that happen, uh, timing was bad, yeah. right? So, that happened in, that's now we're in October. So, we're in the middle of October at this point. 
and in um, so now we're in the middle of October, and I'm home for Thanksgiving, and I have a biopsy done on my back hmm. for like some mole that wasn't even a thing, right? Okay. I'm like, okay, this mole's been on my back for like 20 years. Why is now gonna be? Now it's cancerous all of a sudden. Right. So it wasn't naturally, but anyway, the moral story is that they put ten stitches in my back, okay. right in the right in the center of my back, right where the backpack would be. Whew. So in addition to that, plus um, somehow acquiring like essentially what became walking pneumonia. <laughs> yeah, it was a good time, and not being an athlete for the last like five years, we just, I still decided it'd be a good idea to go go climb Kilimanjaro. So right. I trained like zero days. Um, it's like a seventeen thousand feet peak so it's it's 19,000 I think yeah it's 5,800 something meters I don't know if if you guys stock my Instagram there's a picture there um uh yeah soup it's crazy and the last day so I wrote a blog post about this you can if you find me on medium you can read it for yourself but it's very self-deprecating about my journey and the last day starts at like 11 55 the night before and you're like 15,000 feet and Um, you have to basically summit that morning. So you leave at like midnight and you summit that morning between like seven or eight. I have somebody like eight twenty or whatever. Okay. Uh, in the morning. In the morning. So it's like an eight hour hike. Straight uphill. Okay. In high altitude, right? Okay. And by the end I was just like totally fried. I mean, that was the most tired I think I've ever been in my life. And, um, and the reason to go so early is that you can see the sunrise or in theory, Okay. you know, I missed it. Because I was slow, but the, but yeah, if you're fast enough, you can actually see the. Sunrise. And also gives you time to like go back down. That's right, and I would strongly recommend for anyone who does that, to try and make the sunrise, because once the sun rises, all the snow melts, and then you have to walk get down on the, on the uh on the sleet. Right. And that's so like slippery and. No, it's literally like just r- loose rocks. Scree is what it's called. Yeah. So all the all the rough, all the rough rocks. And it was like, for me, it was like impossible to get down after literally being exhausted for six days, like working through right. pneumonia. It was totally irresponsible right. for me to go even do this, right? And uh, so <laughs> basically made it like, whatever, 7,000 feet up and down. Right. And then like two porters came up and grabbed me and like we were walking arm in arm down the, <laughs> down like to that base camp, the 15,000 foot base camp. Right. And then um, our climbing, t- our team like decided that they wanted to go to the 10,000 foot camp instead of the 12,000 foot camp on the way down. Um, so we had to get like, down. Oh I was like, I'm going to literally, this is going to be it for me. So I made it to like from 15,000 to like 13,000, like the okay. next interim camp. And then, um, <clears throat> and then uh, got some, got some uh, of our porters to help, help me get to the 10,000 foot camp. So literally there was like a two hour period when I was off my feet yeah. when they were helping me get to the, 12,000 foot camp to the 10,000 foot like, camp. But... And you were backpacking with stitches in your back. You were, yeah, exactly. You were sick. Exactly, yeah. Ooh. Exactly. So the only way I made it through this whole thing was because, um, and literally I was like coughing up a storm. I was like eating like a box of cough drops a day. It was great. But the only thing that really got me through it was the was the boost from, the, from the sprint pills. That's I was awesome. like, literally, I mean, I can't even tell you. I mean, I was only taking uh, the, you know, the suggested thing of two right. a day right? right one pack a day right, right? which is the little to-go packs so like two okay. yeah, yeah, right yeah. and uh so we were only doing that but the premise is still the same that i mean you could ask anyone on our trip we were there were 12 of us on the on the on the trip uh, we were part of like a broader trip 
right. together too. Chloe and I went as part of a part of a broader trip, but you can ask pretty much anyone on that trip, and it was that those those the sprint pills were the reason <laughs> that you like survived. Were the singular reason <laughs> that I made it through. I will. Awesome I can comfortably hear. say that. No, and that's awesome that and Hosea, who was one of our guides, who was like just dragging you through. Literally between and then also. Um, um, Amadeus. It was Amadeus, Hosea, Frank, and the Sprint Pills. Frank was our lead guide. Amadeus was with me on the summit day. Hosea helped me on the second and third days. But yeah, it was a yeah. Overall fun experience. Um, I would strongly recommend people do like one day of training at least before they go. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, and, do like actual training. Yeah. Um, but if you're in mildly good shape, you can probably do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And we also were taking um, a Diamox, which you're not like really, you're not, it's recommended for Kilimanjaro because it's like more of a hike than a climb. Right. But most, um, we had climbed, we were did ours with a, a guy for, that had summited Denali and he was explain, from Alaska. So like, he's like a real adventure person. Right. He was explaining to us, you know, like, you know, when you do a lot of mountains, you, you typically don't take Diamox. Because, and Diamox is for? Um, for altitude sickness. Okay. Um, and the reason why you don't take it for when you climb a lot of mountains in general is because you don't you want to know that altitude sickness is hitting you, not mask the symptoms. Right. So I was like, oh, why are we taking it for Kilimanjaro? He goes, well, I don't know. Why are you taking it? Right. Yeah. But yeah, that. So, uh, but f- luckily for me, altitude sickness was not an issue. But yeah, the or it was like yeah. unnoticeable on top of like pneumonia. And- that's right. Exactly. Just yeah. one more thing to add to the list, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah, that's. Uh, that's the macro, but it was six days. I mean, I was feeling it on the first day for sure. And, um, you know, that it's like a long gradual walk up to the second camp and yeah. we did the Machame, the Machame route, which is, um, one of like six routes or whatever. Cool. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, I think it's like, a, it's like an interesting tale, right? Like I think, no, it's interesting backstory as well. So I think that covers like an interesting I mean, that, I mean, it was like a what a six, eight month long like yeah decision to go like decision. that. This was something I wanted to do, right? Yeah. And then, you know, it's really hard to find people that you know have the time and have the willingness yep. to go do something like that, right? And so I wanted to get people to go do Elbrus, the one in, in uh, Russia, but that was that's been kind of tabled um, <clears throat> for other reasons. And then we were going to try and do Aconcagua in South America, but I don't think anyone I even know is good enough shape to do that. That's like seven thousand meters. It's like really high. It's like twenty three thousand feet. Oof. Like you like need to be actually in like decent shape for like that. Starting to be like professional, like training. It, you need to be like actually trying. Right. You, you can't just like show up with and stitches in your back. Like yeah, you can't just show up you. with stitches in your back and uh, you know whatever to go do that. Yeah, this claim sprint's not gonna fucking power you up ever. No, right? it's not gonna help you. That <laughs> one's not gonna help you. But uh, we've been we've been a couple of my a couple of my buddies and I've been talking about doing like a. Uh, like a long motorcycle trip in South America or doing like something equally stressful that would yeah. probably require some sort of additional boost. So we, who knows what that will be, yeah. but we haven't settled on it yet, but um, that's the one that most of us have been most, have, that's a lot of us have been most excited about. Yeah. It's like picking a starting place, whether it's in Ecuador or in Peru or whatever, like, and going South. Interesting. Yeah, no, it sounds like you just jam action into your life, whether it's in work or within, you know, with, on, on, on your time off, which is cool. Um, I appreciate that. You know, there's like two ways to look at your life, right? You can like actively go chase your life or you can be like a spectator of your own yeah. life. You know, 
you know, no, look I, back, I, you're like, I, no, oh I man, that, I didn't do any of those things. So it's like, why didn't you do any of those things? Yeah. Like, you know, I think that resonates, you know, very strongly with me. And I think a lot of the people that are listening where the way I look at it is that a lot of humans live in a very narrow band yeah. of experiences, right? Yeah, like you, true. you, you have like a standard nine to five thing that like you kind of don't care about and you take like very standard like time vacations or trips or something well like you're living a life there's, i don't think there's anything wrong with that but there's like you're living a life that a lot of other people have lived so i think it's like yeah. can you if you can do things with your time that are outside like the norms i think that's just where it's more interesting totally um it just makes it just gives you like more data points on how to you know live a yeah. much more i worked in finance like not venture but like actual finance for about eight seconds and um like what investment banking yeah yeah i got fired it was a great time the uh, <laughs> and uh one of the lessons that i took away from that is like this my the managing director's theory on on life was like the like imagine if you separated all the facets of you as a person into different orbs right. and like all those orbs could be measured like like quantifiably and you know it'd be like you know whatever it is patience uh work ethic uh humor or whatever right um and every time you come across like a hardship or a, a difficult situation, right. you like account or a failure, you you like you know take a step back and assess which of the orbs that right. that, that created that hardship or failure or, or something block, and you like try to actively work on that orb to bump that needle up, so that yeah. the next time that situation is presented to you, you you can like be a better version of yourself. Interesting, right? And then like if you reflect back on your life, uh, all the orbs are maximized to the best of their ability, and then you were like the best version of yourself. So I thought that was an interesting approach. That's one philosophy. You know, yeah. I, I, you know, I try to ascribe to that. I thought that was really, you know, meta, but um, it's really hard to be introspective and, you know, do that. And frankly, I don't think that he does that either. But, you know, I thought <laughs> that was an interesting At least having some sort of framework to think about it, at least yeah. better than nothing. That's right. You know, the, pro the other problem is, like, you know, you start to develop your frameworks, and then once your frameworks are set... It's autopilot. It's autopilot. Yeah. And then your life... And then that, like, so I've been reading this other book, and uh, it's actually called... Um, my struggle, not that my struggle. It's uh, by a, a Norwegian author named Carl Ove uh, Narsgaard. Okay. And um, his one of the things he's talking about is like once you develop those fixtures, those frameworks, and you never start to like reflect on why those frameworks even exist or what's valuable about them, like time starts to move really fast, hmm. right? And then yeah. like that's when you like look up and all of a sudden you like you're like ten yeah, years older, yeah. right? Because you like never like push yourself to learn and relearn, right? Which is what's cool about tech is that, you know it's constantly learning and relearning, questioning your assumptions. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's the highest meta level point in how we should be self-respect or self-introspective all the time, right? Like, it's really hard to and, do. And refining your frameworks, I think having strong frameworks allows you to make decisions quicker and helps you like autopilot into good behaviors. Totally, I mean then, that's like, like the OODA then, loop, right? That's how AI works, yeah. right? And then like reflect on your frameworks every now and then, so you can keep refining your, your tools. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. So I mean, it's mostly about just living like the best, like living your best life right yeah that's no all, that's we're, all, we're, all of us want I, I, us I mean want. I, I wish more people i think would would you know be actually thoughtful about it i think our society would be a lot better if each individual node is better like our thesis like if every single human is better totally we're creating a better society it's one of the luxuries that we have like extreme <laughs> extreme luxuries that yeah. we have in silicon valley where we're surrounded by, as you describe them, nodes, right. you know, as individuals that are constantly trying to be introspective, right? Constantly trying to make the world around them better, you know, uh, whether destructive or constructive. Um, ultimately, even the destructive people are trying to ultimately create a future that they believe is a better one than today. Right. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, that's just not the, 
that's not how a lot of people, as you described, the people, you know, that's not how a lot of people. Yeah, they're almost view their living reality. like in subsistence, right? It was first, like, <laughs> and that's not necessarily their fault, right? Yeah, you know, it's it's not their fault, and um, you know, that's you know, the future of work is something I was just talking about with somebody else. I've actually had two very interesting conversations about this over the last two 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 days uh, about what the future of looks like, future of work looks like, and is it even, and what happens when you know that future of work, then there's no longer work. So like I, universal basic income, like in, in, in a world with like infinite resources or like near infinite resources. Right. Exactly. Like what happens when like, you, so like the, this is such exactly what we were talking about yesterday yeah. where it's like the concept of capitalism is great when there's scarce resources, but what happens when, you know, there's, when there's no more scarce resources. Yeah. Um, so it's like, there was that big Oxford study like a month ago, you know, it's like all work will be automated in 125 years. Yeah. So, um, what is your? It's crazy. I, I, have, I have an opinion here. What is your theoretical outcome? Oh, my, man. my 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 hypothesis would be that um, humans would, uh, you know, are by nature are very competitive and you know, are going to compete on something. So it'd be like who has like the biggest art project or who can build like yeah, the biggest, you know, who can play this game the best. So I think people that's a will, will great, channel. That's a great way to think about it. Uh, yeah. So my that's my my think my thing is like, okay, people will like. There'll be a lot of diversity across like all the types of different interests that people do have, and people will be like competing. I think it's a great in, way in, 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 in a game, if you will, around these these interests. So you know, I think that's so. There's a the, the there was an Oxford study that just came out now about like when work will all be automated. But before that, in 2013, there was like their landmark study out of Oxford right. about all the jobs quantifiably what their percentages were of being automated. Right, right. I think it's right. this report. As yeah, well. yeah. So it's a really, really good one. Um, it's almost impossible to not find if you try to search for right. it. Um, and there's like a hundred and seven, sixty-eight or nine jobs that they say that they outline that have a greater than ninety percent chance of being automated. Like, like being a driver. It's like uh, it's on top like of that. the list. That's right. And then like That's being right. archaeologist is like pretty low on the list because like no one's gonna build an, like a robot to like dig up dinosaur bones. One hundred percent. In that exact thing, they had a, almost the an exact number, like a yeah. hundred and something, hundred seventy, hundred seventy, or hundred sixty-eight or whatever it was, almost identical number of jobs that had a less than 10% likelihood of being yeah. automated. And a lot of them were like pretty fun jobs. Right. Like being an innkeeper at a you know a remote area, right? right? Or something like like things that you would like want to do, artist, right. um, etc. But the things that are classically today don't have the same financial reward as being, you know, uh, uh, something that might get automated out today or soon in the next 5-10 years. Right. So, you know, that value chain, that, that how we value um, roles and what that looks like and, you know, what how people fill their time. That's what I think is going to be a big debate over the next, you know, couple of decades. But, yeah. you know, I don't know I, what that's going to look like. I mean, I think that's but, why, like, we're living in some exciting times where I think, one, it's, like, possible to enhance humans, enhance ourselves. And then, two, it's possible that we get replaced a lot of our functions and, and is that is that the robots. goal is that the goal to get replaced right. i don't know and then the other thing is on the other side of that like right are we being super naive sitting in a you know a tech office in the fidei in san francisco and you know um <laughs> where and the oxford guys are you know you know at a very prestigious university right and you know are we sitting are we looking at it from the perspective our, our perspective is one perspective but like will autonomous cars ever help ever really get mainstream dominance in, in, you know, how long does it take for them to get to Idaho? Sure. How long does it take for them to get, you know, to, um, 
you know, other places in middle America or right. in the South or whatever, right? How does, what, when does that happen? When does AI automation like start to really get there and that rollout? Like, yeah. you know, on their mind isn't autonomous cars necessarily. You know, that's a pro just, that's a problem that we see every day here. Yeah. But I would but, say that like, I, I think Silicon Valley is really just building the future in terms, and also just setting culture. The future, but when? Do, yeah, for sure. But yeah. when in a time frame? You know, like it will for sure hit here. Yeah. But when does it hit? You know, everybody else. And yeah. I don't like. Oh, I don't I, know what the answer yeah. to that is. But I, mean, I think, I think it's going to be longer. Still, right. Well, future is still yet to be written. Yeah. Well, but, right. but, I, but I imagine, like, I think any it can't be the same time. amount of time that it hits here. Right. Yeah. It just yeah. can't. It's literally impossible. Sure. I, I'll, I'll. Yeah. I'll agree with that. But yeah. I think like the adoption curve will be pretty quick because. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I think that quote that Travis Klanick gave about like Ubers where like the guy in the car with you is like the biggest cost. Like, like, like for all these things, delivery. It. It's like there's literally a dude or a, a woman that like might not necessarily be there. And that's like the biggest cost of like transportation. And that's for all of these companies, right? Like, I mean, it's the biggest part of Instacart and DoorDash's thing. Yeah. It's the, all these delivery services, Postmates, yeah. driver is the most expensive part yeah. for all of them. Yeah. UPS, most expensive part. For FedEx, most expensive. So part. I think, like, like with capitalism, right? Like, there, there is such a cost savings to be had. Like, just capitalistic tendencies will make that just adopt quite quickly, unless it's interesting regulation, and, and we'll see. And yeah. consumer adoption. Yeah. So anything that touches the consumer, um, anything that ultimately touches the consumer, the UX has to be so good yeah. that they don't miss the driver. Like and, a, the delivery person dropping off, and I think that I think people are pretty cost conscious, right? So I think, yeah, um, I think if you look at like I think the previous argument with like the Walmart mega stores, with like quote unquote lower quality mass produced stuff or like the handmade bespoke stuff, I mean Walmart's like you know became a massive business because they're able to just offer services really really cheaply. Like you know my thesis, you know my assumption would be that you know if it took two dollars to give me my burrito from, you know from the mission. As opposed to ten dollars, eight dollars they're charging me now. Like I, I could, I would, I would use it probably more than four times as often. I know it's true. No, right? it's one hundred percent true. And um, it's true. There was a McKinsey, there was a McKinsey study that came out. I don't know in September of yeah. last year, and uh, there are one of the stats they throw out is like fifty percent of um, all shoppers who buy things online are the number one motivation is price. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you're dead right yeah. in your assumption. Yeah. So uh, it's a uh, it's it's true that not only does it, the way that we think about it at Wildcat is yes, understanding that the price and this is the most important. Right. How do you work on the price and the UX? Yep. Because if the user doesn't like it, then it doesn't really yeah. matter. Yeah. It'll never get on. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Yeah. I think it's yeah. Those are the two key factors. Um, that's how we think about it anyway who knows if we're right but that's <laughs> yeah no I want to I, mean, I think we're touching definitely into like the future things I want to wrap up here no like what is interesting um, for yeah like you know in terms of the future like I think that's a good you know closing point here like what's in the future for you personally like what like, I guess we touched a little bit about some of the next adventures and, or next yeah. techniques you're trying to, but like what other sort of bow hacks or other things you're trying to incorporate and then two uh, for the listeners out there who might have interesting ideas or businesses in this space like what areas are you building you know leadership in and, and what areas are you most excited about investing in and looking at um, yeah so we're not doing anything in food um, personally um, we haven't yet anyway uh, I think that that's 
a whole nother set of problems, right? Yeah. Because that's really consumer facing. All right. Um, and there's a whole series of price wars and politics that goes into that, especially when you're talking when you're trying to sell into big box retail, etc. Right. So you guys are direct to consumer, but so that's cool. But um, we're looking at a lot of retail stuff. We do a lot of retail stuff. We do um, a lot of IoT stuff. Okay. Um, we're looking at. I'm personally really interested in like workforce innovation in the context of a lot of these things. Um, hence green fig. Yeah. Um, I still haven't found, um, an enterprise VR or AR company that has knocked me off my socks, knocked, knocked my socks off. Yeah. Um, uh, which I think would be cool. I think it's really impressive. Yeah. I want to invest in enterprise AR. Yeah. We have, a, we haven't found anything that's like that I need to, investing yet um let's see what else are we super stoked about there's like a couple intractable problems that we're looking at that like previously uh, like these problems that like have existed for you know the last 10 years in tech that yeah. people have been solving like kind of poorly um but because of ai and um Machine learning cheaper. and deep learning yeah. and whatever you can now make these intractable problems tractable. Yeah, I think that that's pretty fascinating. So right. we are we've looked at probably, you know, thirty of those companies in the last six months, um, in in depth. So that's pretty fun, um, uh, and so we're going to continue to push that pretty hard. But uh, one of our venture partners is Jeff Moore, okay. and Jeff like he worked across the chasm, etc. So one of his new frameworks is you know focusing on how these new systems of intelligence leverage data exclusive like as the new source of currency and make the data um, which is previously like very scarce and expensive how they make that you know ubiquitous and almost free mm. right in the same way that search and google google made search free yeah right interesting so, okay so that's we're looking at a lot of things that fall into that theme. a big yeah. theme yeah. as one of our big big themes interesting and then personally like what are the next adventures oh, or different bio hacks you want to try or yeah personal things you want to get into i'm <laughs> uh, for the first time in my life, I got airline status, which I don't, I don't know if I should be proud of that or like embarrassed. United. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> I, I if anyone wants to send me a, a boxing, uh, <laughs> a helmet, I'll happily wear it on my United next United flight flights flight, yeah. and uh, and uh, put the pictures up. The uh, that nobody's tried to box me yet on a United flight, but you know time will tell. And <clears throat> trying to biohack through that, interesting, because it's that I think is starting to catch up with me with jet lag, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so that I think is my next probably personal pursuit for, okay. for biohacking. I don't have a good answer yet. So if anyone has suggestions, please let me know. Yeah. I mean, I think with polyphasic sleeping, I mean, that's like already like a pretty, you know, hard intervention or a hard protocol to stick to. So, Oh, yeah. totally. So yeah, I think that would be interesting because I think, especially with jet lag, I mean, I think yeah. Yon, our product, is pretty good to help people reset. But in terms of just like constantly shifting time zones and locations, and which it, it's, yeah. I mean, that's just a tar in the body period. Totally. So yeah, I don't know, and so I don't know what to do about that. Yeah. Um, yet, but I'll probably I'm gonna try and figure. We'll, we'll get you some Yon and see how that works for you. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Cool. Anyways, Nate, I mean, this is an awesome, fun conversation. I think we touched upon a lot of the interesting areas from like. 
your personal outlooks into different like just like the future of how the world works. So appreciate the time. Oh yeah, no problem. This is this is super fun for me, and thank yeah. you guys for having me. Yeah, really appreciate it. Awesome. It was fun to chat with Nate. Definitely a nice conversation, touching upon a bunch of different topics. So you can always find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. Um, send us questions and keep suggesting awesome guests to come on our show. Thanks, thinkers. See you next week.